We are continuing in our study in the book of Acts, searching the book of Acts, walking with the Savior. And today will be the promise. It's lesson four. So take your Bibles and open to the book of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter four, uh, chapter one. <clears throat> we had uh, studied the person. Jesus Christ. We have studied the proofs of his resurrection. And now we're going to study the promise. Book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The Bible reads, says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Not many days hence. Let's pray. God, we come to the time. We've opened your word. We've read some scripture. Father, we're at the point where we need you to teach us. I ask you, Lord, that as I speak this morning, that I'd say only those things that you'd have me to say. Pray, God, that I'd not put myself in here anywhere. God, we need to learn from you. We need to have you teach us else we will not learn the truth. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, we're studying Acts for its history to learn our heritage, uh, to know the apostles' doctrine. This is key. We're studying this so that we'll know the apostles' doctrine. Why? That we might be able to correctly identify the true church of God. We've talked and said this many times, there are many people meeting in places and call it church. But if you're not following the apostles' doctrine, it's not a church. It's not following the truth. Waiting, waiting. You know, waiting's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Waiting, hurry up and wait. Oh, I, I can remember as a child and uh, my birthday was coming around. Now, I'm not that way now. I could skip the birthdays. But uh, unfortunately, they keep on coming around. And if you talk to my father-in-law, who's going to turn 94 on March the 1st, he will tell you that his birthdays are coming around every nine months. As you get older, things seem to go, move faster. But waiting, I can remember waiting for that birthday to come, and it would finally get there. And then it was a great day, and it was gone so quickly. And then later in life, you know, it might be a, a golf date. And I always like to golf early in the morning, be one of the first ones off when I could go out and be playing golf and waiting for that day to come. And then I get out there and play golf. And Brother Hector, before I knew it, it was over. It was done. But waiting's the hardest thing to do. And it's the same thing here with the disciples. The excitement of the post-resurrection visits from the Lord must have filled those disciples with excitement and enthusiasm. Don't you think? Here he is, their friend, their Lord and Savior. They're learning him that he is God and how that he died and was buried. And they thought he was gone. Remember how they came and told him and they wouldn't believe it. And then they saw him. But now they know he's alive and they're excited because of it. They must have felt that with marching orders from this man who conquered death, that there was nothing they couldn't do. Can you imagine? That would kind of embolden you, wouldn't it? Nothing I couldn't do. There was no crowd that could sway them. There would be no country they couldn't conquer. There was no confrontation where they could not succeed. 
I looked up the word enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is described as intense and eager enjoyment, interest, or approval. I can remember a time, I'm thinking back to high school days, enthusiasm, enthusiasm. We would have, uh, they'd call the, uh, a, a full assembly. So we had the 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade. And we'd all go into the auditorium. And the band would be playing, and it would be loud. You know, we didn't have canned music. The band would be playing. And then we'd have the cheerleaders, and the cheerleaders would be cheering. And then the principal would come out, and he'd say some words, just inspiring words. And then you'd have the coach come out to talk up the big game, the big game that's going to happen. How many remember these pep rallies? Anybody? Oh, my. I guess with virtual, it'd be kind of hard to do nowadays, wouldn't it? But at any rate, it was exciting. It was an exciting time. We're trying to get everybody together. You know, the goal was to kind of create a, a team spirit. We're trying to create an atmosphere of camaraderie. We've all got the same thing in common. We're all heading the same direction. Here's the enemy. We're going to go get him and we're going to defeat him. And that's kind of what the disciples were like. They were excited. I guess in today's vernacular, you could say that all their synapses were firing. You know, they were focused. They were focused. Wouldn't that have a, wouldn't that have an ability to cause you to really focus on what was going on and what was important? We've been his disciples, and now he's raised from the dead. Now they're starting to really understand what they're doing, what they're to be about. So they're excited. They're excited. And why not? Jesus was dead. Now he's alive. Think about that. Jesus was dead, dead as a doornail, as they say. And now he's alive. My goodness, that would cause you to be excited. That would cause you to be excited. But you know, that enthusiasm they had would not last. You know why? It's because it was of the flesh. It was because of what they had seen. They were going to need something else to cause that enthusiasm to last just like those pep rallies they'd have a pep rally and then you have a few games later after after your team had lost horribly <laughs> and they'd have another pep rally try to get that team spirit going raise you up it's fleshly it's fleshly enthusiasm but if this was going to continue the disciples would need more than enthusiasm to fulfill the great commission they needed the holy spirit they needed the holy spirit Humanly speaking, the power, without the power of the Holy Spirit, the task of fulfilling the Great Commission is impossible. It's impossible. Remember, we're coming up to, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. To be witnesses. To be witnesses. That was the purpose of the Holy Spirit. I needed the promise of the Father. It was John who best remembered in his gospel the Lord's conversation with them regarding the promise of the Father. In John chapter 14, verse 6, go ahead and turn there so you can see it as well. John 14, verse 16. John 14, verse 16. I want to say 6, but that's not the one I want. 16. John said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Isn't that exciting to know? You know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. You have the Holy Spirit that will abide with you 
forever. And the Bible calls him a comforter. If you find yourself comfortless this morning, maybe we're not leaning on the comforter as we should. So, three points. The disciples would need the Holy Spirit to enlighten them. Would need the Holy Spirit to enlighten them. Enlighten is to give someone a greater knowledge and understanding about a, a subject or a situation. Okay? He needed the Holy Spirit to enlighten them as to their memories. The New Testament was to be written. Many things Jesus had taught them would be recalled and written down under the same divine inspiration that had produced the whole testament. The same inspiration. And they needed the Holy Spirit for that. They needed the Holy Spirit for that. You know, just like the disciples, McKeever Baptist members, Jesus reminded us through his word of the things he taught. And in these scriptures, he provides us direction. He provides us wisdom. He provides us peace. He provides us hope and comfort. He needed to enlighten them as to their message, to their message. They were not to preach the words of man's wisdom, but words supplied by the Holy Spirit. This is where we come back and we talk so often about you need to use God's word. We need to use the words of life. Some of us are very persuasive in our speech. We have the ability to articulate. Juan Pablo, I'm not that guy. But God's word, God's words is what changes the hearts and lives of men. The Old Testament would have been seen in a new light and preached with a new revelance. The significance of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection would have to be understood and proclaimed. He's telling them, this is your message. And in order to do that, they needed to have the Holy Spirit. They needed to have the Holy Spirit. Like the disciples, Makiro Baptist members, we need to know his message. What is his message this morning? I only know a few things about God's word. Well, you remember when you're saved? You know that others need to know him as savior? That's your message this morning. That's your message this morning. That's why it's so crucial that we, can, that we study God's word, that we learn it, that we consume it, we chew it, and we put it into our heart. And then we preach and we teach his message. He needed to enlighten them as to their movements, their movements. When to go? Who should they go to? Who's going where? I remember, and they, and they needed the Holy Spirit for that. I remember years ago, John Nordstrom, how many remember John Nordstrom? Came here and we went out soul winning. And uh, <clears throat> I was driving. I'm pretty good at that. I was driving. And John said, uh, turn here. I turned there. We went down the end of the street. He said, turn left. I turned left. Turn on this street. I went on that street. He had me turn on another street. We got down the end of the street. He said, turn around. Park here. And he looked at me and he says, that may sound a little silly to you. I said, no, it doesn't. What was he doing? He was earnestly seeking direction from God. Now, folks, we're not talking about you hear an audible voice or anything like that. But when you're sensitive to God's Holy Spirit, he will lead you and he'll guide you in all truth, but he'll also direct you. And that's what John was doing. 
Oh, and by the way, a soul was led to the Lord that day. A soul was led to the Lord that day. So they needed the Holy Spirit to enlighten them, but they also needed the Holy Spirit to energize them, to preach with power, to preach with power. No one, regardless of how enlightened, how zealous, and how willing they might be, has what it takes to convict, to convert, and consecrate. No man has that ability. Some of us have had the ability to hear some great preachers of God. We, uh, we've heard several, uh, you know, don't agree with all their doctrine as they do. I've heard Jack Vadampian in person. I, I heard John R. Rice in person. I heard Jack Hiles in person. Uh, some of these names that we go back to and we say, I know this one, I've heard this one, I've heard. And great speakers, and it can hold your attention. We've heard the Dave McCrackens, who you have to watch out for, or he might jump on the pew, and if you're not watching, he might just step right on you. He's an exciting guy, but he also speaks with authority and power, and these men did. But it was not their words. Why? Because they know that it, we don't have the ability to convict. We don't have the ability to convert, and we don't have the ability to consecrate. It's God's words that does this action. They could no more convert a soul than they could create a star. Interesting. And yet sometimes we get wrapped up in our own speaking. Oh God, help me never to become prideful. It's God's words that makes the difference. It's God's word. And they needed the Holy Spirit to do this. Why? Because men and women, men and women have been enslaved to sin and they've been blinded by Satan. You know, we look out here, we see people that are hurting, people that have made some decisions and they've gotten themselves in some bad positions and what have you. And we want so badly to get them out of that, but we can't because Satan has blinded them. It's God that gets into the heart and shows them that light to new life, to new life. Like the Apostle Paul, we need to go in boldness and speak with boldness, but not the boldness of self, but the boldness of being powered by the Holy Spirit. They needed the Holy Spirit to energize them to live life, to live life. They did not have what it takes to live like like Christ's. They needed the Holy Spirit for that. Need the Holy Spirit for that. You know, child of God, you get out, a thought may cross your heart, something may run through your mind, something may run through your heart, and you hear that very quiet voice say to you, oh no, oh no. The power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to convict me. And it caused me to walk circumspectly, to live life. We need to learn what it means to leave all. You know, it seems to me these disciples, these great men of God, were great men of God for several reasons, but it started with leaving all. They forsook all those things that would tie them down and, and take their focus off of God. They left all. They needed, they understood that they would need the Holy Spirit to enlighten them. They needed the Holy Spirit to energize them. And they needed the Holy Spirit to encourage them. 
to encourage them. They're full of enthusiasm now. They're excited. But what about when he's gone? Whoa. You know, you get these big rallies going, whether it's school or political or church, whatever, and everybody gets, I used to say, hyped up. Then they went to amped up. I don't know what it's now. But you get real excited. You got a lot of enthusiasm. But you know, when everybody leaves and you turn around and you go, if you were to yell, people would look at you because you're by yourself. You know, they'd think you're silly. Where do you go from here? What are you going to do when you're by yourself? What were they going to do when they were in prison? You read about Peter and Paul and these being in prison. What kind of response are they going to have? What kind of response are you going to have if you're living your life in the flesh and you get put into a situation where you need God? Oh, you better have a grasp of what God can do for you. And you better understand where your power comes from. It's not from yourself. It's from God. It's from God. What were they going to do when they were scourged and threatened? And how many of them died a cruel death? A cruel death. They would need the Holy Spirit for that. I submit to you that we need the Holy Spirit for that. We need the Holy Spirit's power in our life. You know, those pep rallies, they wear off. That's why we'd have more than one. One more than one. You know, we certainly need excitement and enthusiasm in our churches. I like to have fun. I like to laugh. I like to be a little silly, not to the point where I'm, I'm uh, making light of God's word. I certainly would not do that. But we need to have enthusiasm. Many of us have gone to meetings where we've been stirred by the preaching and the singing, just something different about it. And then somebody gets up and speaks, and they just speak with such power and authority of God. My goodness, stirs us, it stirs us. It, it gets us to the place where you've heard the preacher say, I got so excited I wanted to charge hell with a water pistol. You've heard that story before? Yeah. I'm going to digress. Kind of reminds me of the time when we were in Bible Baptist in Stockton and uh, the pre preacher was up there making announcements and then uh, I think he actually started in the preaching and one of the men of the church went running through with a, uh, looked like a cup of water. Running through, and he did it about three times. He says, stopped, and he says, what are you doing? He said, well, the red barn's on fire. See, now, the red barn where I lived sat on the corner of Oro and Main Street in Stockton, and it was a bar. And the preacher said, oh, you're not going to put it out with that cup of water. He said, oh, this is not water. This is gas. He was burning it down. The disciples were told to wait. They were told to wait. You know, before I move into that point, we need to be aware that we need to follow uh, the marching orders of our Lord and Savior. I was encouraged this morning through a text with a preacher friend of mine talking about his marching orders. But the disciples were told not to wait. Soon they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, there are only seven direct references to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to try to help you out this morning, okay? The first five references are prophetical, and they're found in the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So go ahead and turn there. Turn to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. The first five references are prophetical. 
talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We hear this a lot. So what, are, what is it? Well, the first five are prophetical. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. Again, I've typed this out, so if I mess it up, you've got your scripture there. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Oh, that's quite a statement there. Whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay, so you have John the Baptist announcing Jesus. Go ahead and go to Mark chapter 1, verse 8. Mark chapter 1 and verse 8. Mark 1, verse 8. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And finally, in John chapter 1, verse 33, turn there. John chapter 1, verse 33. says, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. John was speaking of Israel uh, to the, in these verses, saying that whereas he baptized with water, one was coming who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit. These are prophetic. And I read all four accounts because it came from each gospel writer. I wanted you to see that. <clears throat> this was a reference, uh, let's see. The other prophetic, the other prophetic uh, reference is here in Acts 1.5. Acts 1.5. And the Lord links his own statement to the previous statement of John the Baptist. But he adds the baptism of the Spirit would take place not many days hence. Actually, it took, day, took place 10 days later. 10 days later, it took place. Okay. So, the sixth res reference of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is found in Acts 11.16. Acts 11.16. I'll go ahead and turn there with you. Acts 11.16. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Okay, so you've got these five, these five uh, that were prophetical, and now you've got this sixth one, which is historical, looking back, looking back, this is what happened. Okay, now the final one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been made to drink 
into one spirit. It's interesting, people in and of ourselves, because of our ethnicity, because of where we're from, we, uh, we divide. We're divisionists. Is that a word? <laughs> we, we divide. Um, but when you're baptized, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're baptized into one body, one body. This verse explains, for by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. The baptism of the spirit is that operation of the Holy Spirit which takes an individual believer in the Lord and makes that person a member of Christ's body. Christ's body. The verb baptized is in the past tense. It's in the past tense. That's important to recognize. Now folks, we want to let God's word be God's word. We want to let God's word be all truth and teach us. We want to learn from it. We don't want to add to it. We know what happens when you add to it. You'd be accursed. You know, it's wrong to ask God to do for us something he's already done. There's a lot of false teaching out there about the baptism of the Spirit. These seven scriptures constitute all that the Holy Spirit has to say about the subject. And, let, and yet we hear a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We hear a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If I am wrong, you need to come and show me where I'm wrong per God's word. We want to let God's word be the authority. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that speaking with tongues and uh, so-called charismatic gifts are proofs of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. It's not a second blessing. It is not a second blessing. Don't get confused. People like to have some sort of a visual confirmation that they are truly indeed a child of God and I, not only do I know it, but I want you to know it. Well, Folks, the Bible tells me that these things were written that I might know that I have eternal life. I don't need anything more powerful than that. I don't. I don't. It's inherent in all that happens at the time of our conversion. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. By the way, this baptism is not given to just a select few. But it's given to all believers. All believers. It's not a new... It's not a mark of a new special kind of holiness. We'll be in Corinthians again tonight. Talking about carnal church members. Carnal church members. And that's what the book of Corinthians is about. About the carnal church members. Remember a couple Sunday nights ago we talked about the, we had the uh, natural man, which is the lost man. We have the carnal man. The carnal man, which is uh, that Christian that's just either just a babe in Christ or they just have never grown. And then you have the spiritual man. Well, the church at Corinth was talking about the carnal church. The carnal church. And Paul says of that carnal church that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. This carnal church. We said, when, when we listen to those talk about, have you had the second blessing? Have you been filled with the Spirit? Have you... And on and on, they're thinking of those that are great Christians, those that exemplify what it means to be a child of God. And yet Paul said of the church of Corinth, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and they were carnal. 
They were carnal. Yeah, those carnal Christians, they were worldly. By the way, they were quarrelsome. They were conceited. They were selfish Christians. Mark it down. If you ever see a child of God who claims to be a child of God and showed conceitedness, they're always bickering and fighting with you, and they're selfish, they're carnal Christian. Not my words, the Bible's word. Let's let the Bible speak to us. Amen? We're studying the book of Acts. We're trying to take it slow. We've had four lessons on it. We've gone through five verses. Amen? Five verses. We're trying to learn the apostles' doctrine because it's so necessary that when we leave from here or you have taught your children and they leave or your grandchildren that they know and are able to identify what the apostles' doctrine is and how they can uh, then understand and know what a true New Testament church is. It's going to bring us to a point of decision this morning. What are you going to do with the information we discussed this morning? Now look at me. Some may be upset because I've talked about the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. It may go against some of the things that you think and believe. I love you. We've got to let God's word be the truth. We've got to let God's word define us. Amen? Amen? So let's let it do that. Let's let it do that. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Child of God, are you going to be able to prove, provide the proof by God's word of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? To those that are lost, Perhaps you've come to church this morning and you do not understand the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. It's simply this. Man's a sinner. And man cannot attain heaven by any work that he can do. God offered himself as a sacrifice and paid the penalty of sin of all mankind. And therein lies the remission of sins. You must receive Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. You've come here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. Please come forward in the invitations. Meet with me. I'd love to take God's word and show you what it means to know that you are saved. Father, I ask that you now do your work. God, I understand that in order to do that, our hearts have to be open. So, Father, I pray for openness of heart this morning. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Please stand together with me with heads bowed and eyes closed.